Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bougay, and who am I here with? Who is that on the other side of my Zoom? Why, it is Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's going great. Thanks for that intro, Chris. I felt like really important there. <laughs> you are really important, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It's going great, actually, Chris. You know what I'm really excited about? I just posted on Instagram and I'm really excited about Instagram's new update. They now have auto-generated captions, which has always been something that's been frustrating to me. I've been cognizant that uh, I wanna make my content as accessible as possible, especially because that's kind of what we preach, right? And I've had to use third-party apps in order to record videos that have captioning and then upload them to Instagram. And now that's a new update which is really exciting. That's that's awesome. I, you know, I've seen on Instagram where people have uh, it's like had to add the captions in, and I didn't realize just how difficult that was. So that is such a great, great addition to that particular app. I know TikTok has done the same thing, where there's a or something similar where you can uh, have the have the auto captions. And of course, I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's worth mentioning again that if you're making your own videos, like you're on your own camera or on your own phone, I have an iPhone. I like using the Apple Clips app because it's had that feature do you know what i mean where you and i always wondered like why isn't that just embedded into the camera app itself like why do you have to go get this other app you know just build it in i think it's, it's continues to be a sign of the times what you're talking about here that companies are continuing to recognize that accessibility is something that should be built in not something you have to go get totally and i think that it's exciting when you start to see these like things just being more commonplace. And I think that's the trend of assistive technology, right? Is like, eventually it just becomes this thing that we all do. And it's like, it's interesting how it has to evolve to that though. Like, why can't we start there? Why does it have to be this long process? It kind of feels inefficient. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? Like, and once you know that secret, like um, if a company has discovered that, then it's such a huge shortcut. Like you don't have to go and retrofit. You can design that with the, with uh, your product in mind instead of going, oh yeah, you know? And it's funny because that's part of my job is uh, when I started in, in my position as the assistive technology specialist, one of the first things we did is we went to our Department of Instruction and we said, hey, the software review, review process that we are kind of um, developing, we want to be a part of it so that when we are considering onboarding uh, tools, any tool, we are looking at it from an ex accessibility lens. And whenever we do that, we can then give feedback to the companies. And each time we do that, of course, we're always going to find something, you know, like, hey, matter of fact, Rachel, literally an hour ago, I was reviewing this uh, particular website, and I hit the play button, and it got to this giant embedded image. And when it got to the image, it literally said out loud, screenshot 6.497.png. And I was like, well, ding, like that you, if someone was using a screen reader, if they were visually impaired, or they just needed to hear a description of that for whatever reason, the description of this awesome graphic that I could see was going to be read as screenshot, blah, 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 you know, and I had to then give that feedback to our larger committee to say, 
you know, if we are going to use this tool, this is something everybody should know about that we're going to have to go in and, and fix this, you know. And then this then allows us to then send this report. We don't, but we could send it to the companies. Like if we decided not to go with this particular company or this particular brand, well, one of the reasons we didn't do it was because <laughs> you weren't accessible. So I think that, that helps move the needle forward for all these companies. Yeah, this kind of reminds me, I think I talked about this a long time ago. There's a tool that I love called uh, Word Wizard. And it's a really great tool for literacy. Um, it has a lot of capacity. And at one point, I was working with a student with cortical visual impairment, and I thought to myself, this would be really great if it had the ability to have high contrast. Because basically, it's letter tiles. You can manipulate them. You can have spelling lists. It's really a great tool for literacy. I would highly recommend it. I reached out to the developer, and I said, like, you know, hi, like, you know, I'm a speech therapist. I work with, you know, students, uh, specifically a student who has cortical visual impairment. Would it be possible if you're, during your next app update to just at least, like, make the ability to have the background black? It's like, if that's, like, if you could do that, that would be awesome. And this app developer was so wonderful. He was like, absolutely. We went back and forth. I helped guide the process. And so now it's, it's a feature. Um, he also added the ability to have um, a Bluetooth keyboard um, to make it more accessible. Because um, I have some of my students, um, you know, were practicing using a keyboard and things like that. Um, so anyway, this is to say that, one, companies really do want your feedback. So if you're using a tool and you feel like, wow, this would really be great, except this. I would highly recommend reaching out to the companies because a lot of times I've been met with like, thank you so much. We definitely want to make our tool better and more accessible. Um, and I've seen a lot of success with that. And also with AAC, AAC app companies too, um, not just like tools and games and things like that. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out because companies want your feedback to make their products better. What a great activity. What a great experience for students to do that. Imagine taking some sort of product and say, let's evaluate it and look at it from an accessibility lens, something that if you've been listening to those podcasts, you you now have some knowledge on how to do that. And then what an authentic writing experience. Let's write this company and see if they'll add this to the development cycle. And you've actually then make a difference and, and make a change. Um, I think that would be awesome. So you, one, you can do that as a clinician or as an educator, or as a parent listening to this podcast. But two, if you help guide others, what an authentic writing experience, you know, as opposed to just writing to write, uh, write for a purpose. I love it. I always love when we can make educational activities really meaningful and motivating and all those things. Um, so yes, I love that idea, Chris. Great job. Rachel, something else that sort of just tied this, this circle all together here is that we started talking about uh, Instagram. And you're really talking about, Insta if people don't know, Instagram is owned by Facebook. So now we have this huge, large company that is starting to recognize uh, accessibility as a, an important aspect of everything they design, right? Um, and Microsoft, Google, uh, they all have accessibility divisions and try and focus their, uh, I know it's a, it's an, it's a huge effort on on their part to try and build accessibility in from the from the ground up. So you have this large company that has accessibility as a focus, and then we brought it to a small app developer that is making individual apps and their focus on accessibility. And I feel like that is a great indicator that it's going to happen with everything in between. Do you know what I mean? That uh, if the large companies are doing it and the small companies are doing it, then eventually everyone will be doing it. 
Uh, let's live in a world where everything's accessible to all. <laughs> Speaking of, so we we're talking about literacy, Chris. We were talking about, I was talking about uh, this app word wizard that I think is fantastic to build literacy skills. You were talking about authentic writing experiences. You had an amazing experience with a literacy guru who everybody knows about in our field. Tell us about it, Chris. Yeah, so this past year, I was one of the featured speakers at Talking AAC, which is put on by Rachel Langley and crew up in uh, Michigan. Shout out to them. They were so awesome. And as the sort of follow-up culminating event, because um, there was there was me as a featured speaker and Dr. Karen Erickson as a, as a featured speaker, but we weren't speaking together. It was two separate, you know, tracks, if you will. But then we had a culminating event that was sort of together, like it was a two-hour-ish webinar, and Nikki Stempian won a prize. If you listened to a couple episodes, she was she was there a couple episodes ago. So I do the first hour, and it was sort of like answering questions when people were going back and reflecting and they didn't get to uh, maybe ask the question they wanted to ask during the, the presentations a few months ago, this was a chance to kind of clarify. And I had the first hour and then Dr. Karen Erickson had the second hour, which was really mostly focused on literacy. But um, it was a great experience where um, we got to kind of hit some of these high notes. A lot of stuff we've talked on the podcast before about like motor planning, talked a lot about the specific language system first approach. And then Dr. Erickson was was able to follow up with the uh, literacy components. So it was, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that um, it really had to be there because I'm not sure that it was uh, recorded that was going to be put out for the wild, wild, wild world. It needed to be something that you had to be there and have the exchange. But what an awesome professional experience where I, I had only ever met, and of course, I've seen uh, Dr. Erickson present a couple times. Prior to this, I've only ever had one exchange with her. Like her and I met at ATIA once and we're in the hallway together and chatted for a little bit. And that was it. So having this this exchange was really like, it was like a highlight. You know what I mean? Like it was really awesome. <laughs> I love that. And also I just love, I, I was reflecting a lot about COVID. I feel like everything's kind of starting to open back up. Everyone's getting vaccinated. It feels like, okay, the end is in sight here. So I've been doing a lot of reflecting and I feel like one of the coolest things for me has been that all of these amazing AAC conferences have gone virtual and conferences that like I wouldn't have normally gone to or like been able to justify just traveling around the country all year long, just like going to all these conferences, um, they were so accessible, right? I was so easily able. Um, I definitely, you know, uh, participated in talking AAC and um, it's just so cool that we've been able to open up all of our experiences. You and I, Chris, have been able to present way more to way more people just because it's all been opened up to an online format. And that's definitely something that, um, you know, I'm excited to go back in person and, and do live events and meet people face to face. But I'm also excited at the prospect of having kind of a hybrid approach to, to the learning because I think that, you know, ultimately people are seeking out this information. How can we make conferences um, more accessible so that people are able to learn and grow as clinicians? I absolutely could not agree more. And it, like it, in this whole accessibility discussion that we're having here with the banter at the beginning of this episode, exactly, right? I mean, the pandemic helped make things more accessible for everybody. And these professional learning experiences is just one example where, you know, it, it could be so difficult to get, so expensive to get to a place. Now the barriers to entry is internet connection. You know, if you can get an internet connection, uh, you might be able to get uh, in, into one of these conferences. And 
and participate and still have a great exchange with people. You know what I mean? The chat often is popping off in any one of these particular sessions you go to where people are, are having exchanges back and forth. So uh, I hope that's something we continue to work at and uh, that we don't lose, you know? Absolutely. I completely agree. Chris, I feel like let's wrap up this talk of accessibility with your interview today, which I feel like Mike Arata, he's like the face of accessibility, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, this interview is with Mike Murata, and that's exactly what we talk about. We talk about built-in accessibility features uh, of common operating systems, stuff you're like, that's there? And we talk about some really new uh, stuff that might, people might be like, well, um, I, I didn't know that stuff was there, and I didn't know that stuff was there because some of it is like brand new. Like, oh my gosh, there's a live captioning feature in um, Google Chrome. So if that's something new to you, then this is definitely the episode for you because uh, we touch on on a lot of stuff that's just kind of it shouldn't be hidden but it's hidden there people don't often know that it's built into the tools they already have i love it so without further ado let's head into chris's interview with mike morata Hey there, if you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind the scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talking with tech. That's patreon.com slash talking with tech. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm joined today with the one, the only, Mike Marotta. Mike, how's it going? Chris, hello. How are you today? Good. I have a pressing question that I need to ask you before we get started, okay? Yes. And that is, what would Batman do? <laughs> this is the trick of being on a Zoom call where Chris can see me, and I realize, what am I dressing up for? No, he's only going to put the audio out. So, what would Batman do? I think it's a good life. It's a good life philosophy. I think so too. Totally, totally. And because this is an audio podcast, Mike is wearing a shirt that says WW and then has the, the Batman cowl uh, <laughs> and then with the D and a question mark. Now, Mike, before we get serious here, uh, there's a couple, there's something I have to show you. Um, I have, I've been waiting. Uh, we've been meeting very frequently because you're one of the authors of the new Inclusive Learning 365 EdTech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. Um, go check it out over at inclusive365.com. You've been the, the principal author of that website. Like you're the one that sort of manages that portion of the, uh, of the project for us. But I didn't want to take too much of our time with Karen and Beth to, sh to tell this story because I feel like it's you're going to appreciate it the most. Okay. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> so um, you and I have presented before. And when we have presented, sometimes I tell the story about my Mr. Sheehan stories. You know, he's a, a general ed teacher that I've worked with in the past and he's friends with, you know, our family. Well, Mr. Sheehan. Uh, went away a couple of weeks ago um, for personal reasons. And we had to watch his family dog, right? Because the dog comes over, we watch the dog. And then a couple of days later, you know, they come and pick up the dog and they, they leave. And as a thank you gift, um, Mr. Sheehan went to a comic book store and got me this. Okay. So I'm going to show oh, it to you again. I know I'm this ready. is I love audio, it's, but 
I love that this is audio and it's only for me right now. So the rest of you just hold on for a second. We'll describe right. it. I promise. Here it comes, right? So I got to see if you can see this. Oh, I, you all have no idea. Chris right. will have to put this in the show notes, a link to it or something. It is a beautiful framed lithograph of the Mandalorian and it is glorious. And it says um, down in the bottom left-hand corner, it says number one, because it kind of looks like it's an artwork from like, if it was a comic, this would be like the, oh, it was just, when he brought that out and we unwrapped it, it was like, ah, it was so great. And I, the reason I wanted to show you is because I know you're a huge Star Wars fan um, and a huge Mandalorian fan. That is outstanding. I love it. I am very jealous. And when everyone else sees the picture you post, they're going to be equally as jealous. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure that I post a picture to me and my big smile holding my, my new Mandalorian poster. So Beautiful. speaking of the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian has a catchphrase, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, that catchphrase is this is the way. This is the way. And that's something we're going to talk about here today, about um, one of the ways of thinking about uh, tools that are available for students is that we start with looking at what's already available. This is the way. We look at what's there already before we go find something out in the wilderness. We go travel to another planet and look for some, some, um, some alien technology to bring in. We say, what do you have on your own planet that can be used to, because it's such a, a, a least restrictive barrier. Am I, am, I, am I speaking your language? You are without a doubt speaking my language. I, I, you know, I, I find I have some soapbox issues. And I think as I get older, I feel like I get more soapboxy in my in my life here. But this is one for sure for inclusive technology. This idea of looking at what's right in front of you, meeting someone's needs in essence instantly when you turn something on and not having to go and approach a gatekeeper, an administrator, a person who holds funding strings to beg for a $5 app or a $10 app, um, when you can meet a learner's needs immediately with the device that they're sitting right in front of. So do you have any stories like that or specific examples that we could use some stuff that's built in already and um, that we could share with the listeners here to be like, all right, well, what are some of these things? What are your heavy hitters? Yeah. When, when you think about it, you know, I like to point out to people every single device you have right now, whoever you are listening to this podcast, whatever device you are listening to this on, it has built in accessibility features. It has them. If you're on your smartphone, it has a ton. If you're on your computer, it also has a powerful suite of features. And my first suggestion to people always is open up your settings menu. Go to the app that says settings. The beauty, and I'll talk about iOS first, um, the beauty of iOS, and it was one of the little changes that happened recently in one of the updates. I think it was iOS 13. They moved accessibility out of the general subcategory to right in the main menu. It's like the fourth thing down under general. And to me, that's the biggest win we could have had because it is getting accessibility in the faces of people who are not quite sure what that is, but you know they're going to click on it and you know they're going to dig around a little and they're going to find some of these really powerful features. You know, I think when we look to support learners in the classroom, 
there's a lot of instances where we're providing text-to-speech support, so audio support for digital text, or speech-to-text, the ability to use my voice to produce text on my device. And those two features live everywhere. Every device, you have them. It might be called something a little different. You might have to read the description, uh, you know, where on an iOS device, it's called select to speak on. Oh, no, sorry. I had that totally backwards. I just totally messed it up. And this is the trick of accessibility features on your Chrome devices. It's called select to speak on your iOS. It's called speak selection, right? Same feature set. And yet people might not even know that's there. That is the one, if I had a wish list, if I could get Tim Cook in front of me, which who knows, maybe someday, um, I would say, Tim, because I would feel like I would be close to him by that point. I'd say, Tim, wouldn't it be great if this speak selection feature was just turned on automatically? Mm -hmm. And it just showed up because with speak selection, with speak selection, any text you interact with on an app, you hold your finger down on it. We've all done it. Hold your finger on text and it starts to copy it. And it gives you little bubbles and you spread them out to choose your text. And then you get the menu that pops up, copy, look up, um, whatever else pops up on that menu. Well, when you turn on speak selection, speak shows up. Suddenly, anything I've highlighted reads out loud to me. Mm-hmm. Could we get tools that do that? Of course we could. Could we pay for them? Of course we could. But could we use that feature as it sits on my device to try it first to see if a student responds to it? Yes, we could do that instantly. 100%. So there's a couple of things I want to comment, comment there on. One of the reasons I think some people do, it's a big discovery or aha moment when they go into the accessibility settings is because I think when they see the, the word accessibility, they think, well, I don't have a disability. So uh, why would I ever go there? Like that's, as opposed to maybe, again, if we could have Tim Cook here, Tim, if you're listening, or if you know Tim and you want to forward this podcast to him, we'd appreciate it. What if we didn't call it accessibility? What if we called it usability? Because now I want things to make it usable, uh, make it even more usable for me. And then the second big thing that you mentioned there, Mike, is the default. What is the default setting? You open up out of the box. Is the default setting that these are buried or is it that, and I have to go turn it on or is it it's on and if I don't like it, I go turn it off. And I feel like that's a fundamental shift. And I think we're headed there. I think we're, we're there's some evidence to maybe suggest that these, these, um, uh, these sorts of features will be coming out of the box turned on and you have to actively turn them off because they help so many people. Why wouldn't you turn them on? Right, exactly. It's so funny. The, the last time I went and got a phone, so I upgraded finally to an iOS, uh, to an iPhone 12 from my iPhone 8. And I went to uh, the cell phone store. I have Verizon. I no plug for Verizon. It's just what I was there. Um, I'm speaking to the, the guy in the store and he said, oh, well, you're here. Would you like me to set your phone up? And, and you know, I had that moment of, eh, I'm, a, I'm a tech guy. I'll do it myself. And he's like, but sir, I can do that for you. It'll take five minutes. I'm like, you know what? Go for it. Set that up. That would be great. And so he's setting it up and he's asking me some questions and he's having me put in my password and all that fun stuff. And he gets to a point where he's at the setup and he said, would you like large print? And, and it, even as an assistive technology person, I was like, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I, 
I'll go with what it has. And he goes, well, here's what it looks like. And he holds up my phone and it was beautiful. It was so large and so easy to see. I go, yes, I want that. And that goes back to your usability or even a, a, a heading that says customize my device. Mm -hmm. Something that tells me that these choices are going to impact how I'm able to use this device more effectively. Uh, I love that. You know, and in fact, I think Windows and Microsoft has, have taken steps that way. Um, again, no plug for Microsoft, but they have what they call the ease of access suite, right? Or the ease of mm -hmm. access tool. And at first, just the name of it is like, well, if you don't use that, then it's the the difficult access. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. It's putting <laughs> you in that mindset of why wouldn't I do that? Right. And so sending a little wizard that sets up your device and asks you sort of questions that prompts you through it. And I feel like that's what that does. There's like a an accessibility wizard, if you will, that kind of walks you through, well, well what kind of choices would I make? I don't even know what I want until I see it. Um, and that wizard can help you through it. And I feel like that's what you're getting at with um, all devices. Like when you're yeah. having this initial setup, why not have this sort of um, assistant that helps you make the choices you want, you, you don't even know you need? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And I think what, what's interesting, and I get a lot of people that that will always say in presentations when, I, when I'm speaking, you know, what do you think technology is going to look like in five years? And, and really, that's a loaded question. Now, none of us could figure out what tech's going to look like in five years. Could I give you a wish list, perhaps? Sure. One of the things I think we're working towards with technology is kind of the Chrome model where your preferences are in a profile. That profile lives in the cloud somewhere. You stroll up to any device and simply log into it. And guess what happens? That device, doesn't matter what device it is, customizes itself for you instantly. I mean, that is one of the beauties of Chrome. And, and it's funny because I don't even know if people are recognizing the, that how powerful that is in schools with Chromebooks, that a, a learner can sit down at any device and simply log into it. And magically, that device becomes their device. It knows their preferences. It knows their setup. It knows their files. All of those things. Is that built-in accessibility? No, but is it usability? Without a doubt, it is for sure. Exactly. You doesn't, and it, what a time saver from having to go and set it all up again and have that struggle of like, and then think, did I, well, what was that setting and how did I get there before? It's one of those things that you, it just is, you know, yeah. just how it is. It's set up that right. way. Right. So it's, it's, you're right. It is. It's like not even thought about. Right. It's like, oh, I put it in there and just magically. Oh, if I use large print, the print adjusts itself. Mm -hmm. If I use the speak, the, the select to speak and the dictation feature, those buttons just appear and they're ready to go. So what are some of the other features? What are some of the other heavy hitters? We talked about um, spoken content like uh, the speak selection. Um, what else? What are some other things that might um, help people that use these technologies, which is like everybody, right? Yeah, um, right. It, like it, what, would, what, what else do you recommend oftentimes or um, features that you've like, well, this is another one that most people don't know about, but then, you know, I show it to them and they start crying their balls. How come I didn't know this was here, you know? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of it is this idea of using your voice to either navigate a device or input information into a device. So either speech to text or speech control. Uh, and so when you think about this idea, and, and, and again, these features 
or not, I'm feeling another soapbox moment coming. Um, and I'm trying to bury it down, but it's, it's too late. It's coming. Um, I'll get back to this. I promise. But one of my, 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 uh, soapbox moments again is oftentimes people think of these built-in accessibility features in the ways that they are presented to them through their device, which is these are settings for people who are visually impaired. These are settings for people who are hearing impaired. These are settings for people who are physically um, impaired. All of these buckets that they put features in. And sometimes that limits people's thoughts about how they use some of these features. Um, and I'll go back to speech for a second, text-to-speech, because it's a good illustration of it. Um, text-to-speech, sure, could it work for someone with a visual impairment? Of course it could. Right. I, I have items on the screen being read aloud to me so I know where I am and I can navigate. Of course, that sounds great. Does that also help an individual with a learning disability? Without a doubt, it provides that dual support of the visual and the auditory simultaneously. Great. What about an individual with a cognitive disability who's not quite comfortable or clear on the navigation around a device and they need to hear prompts in order to move forward. So when someone says, oh, well, that's just a setting for someone who's blind and I'm not blind, I, I'm very quick to say, no, that's not true. That is a setting that provides you audio support. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, with the uh, speech to text or the speech input, same idea. It is for someone who wants to use their voice or for the people we're talking to in your podcast, a voice of an augmentative communication device, mm -hmm. some type of audio input to control their device, whether it's asking questions of things like Siri or your Amazon products, maybe it's that kind of strategy. Maybe it is inputting text into an application that you're writing into to save someone from writing. Maybe it is command and control of your device. Uh, one of the newest features they just introduced in um, iOS is uh, voice control. Mm -hmm. It is spoken control over your entire device. You want to open an app, just say it. Open Google Drive. It opens it. And yes, I recognize I said an iOS device and I use the Google product to open, but that's okay. You can use all of them. Um, it allows you not only to open tools, but to navigate through them strictly by spoken commands that moves the cursor, if you will, through that device. Um, and, and one of the things it brought back, which really made me smile when I saw it, was um, if you're a user of Dragon Naturally Speaking, the old Dragon Naturally Speaking program, you knew that there was the, the grid that you could put on the screen to navigate your cursor around, and it would overlay a grid on the screen with numbers in each square. And then you would say, select five, select two, select one. And it would squeeze that square smaller and smaller until it got to the item you needed. And then you would say, select, and it would choose that. Voice control brought that back to our iOS devices. And I've been using that quite a bit. I, I'm supporting a, a gentleman uh, with quadriplegia who was struggling to control his device until voice control came. And now he uses that grid all the time. And, and it's funny, his family always laughs and they're like, oh, we know he's doing something because we hear eight, six, three, two, click. And it's just nonstop, but it's giving him control 
over every aspect of his phone, which for him is his lifeline to the community mm-hmm. to be independent. Uh, and so even that is so powerful, built right in. Um, I will give you a warning about voice control. It is a bit of a battery drainer because your microphone is always on. Mm-hmm. So if you're on an older device and your battery's a little shaky, I'd be prepared uh, to have an extra battery block with you. I know for him, he uses this all day long in order to be independent. The gentleman I was talking about, um, he recently bought a giant battery block that he keeps in the back of his wheelchair in the bag. And he just runs a wire up to the front of his wheelchair to keep his uh, phone charged all day, um, which has been huge for him. Now he can independently go out in the community and do basically anything with his phone that any of us would do. Mm-hmm. And might I add that it seems to provide an opportunity for employment as well. Would that be fair statement? I would think so for sure. I, I think any of these features that you can use instantly on your own device, of course, could be an employment feature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think since you mentioned employment, I think what we've started to realize in the in the pandemic um, is that all those times people said, People with disabilities couldn't work because they needed to be at the office. We've had a realization over the past year plus, no one really needs to be at the office and everything went just okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm actually happy to announce that I'm seeing more opportunities for people to move into the employment field um, because employers have had a bit of a rethink. They've had a mind shift Mm -hmm. a bit of, oh, wait a second. I don't need a person here. And and right now for some of them, they don't want a person there. Yeah. They yeah. want them remote. And they were just as productive, in some cases, probably more productive, um, maybe happier uh, with their with their whole life. Um, yeah. uh, they have more time because there's less commute, you know. Uh, exactly. And you think you think about people with disabilities, one of the biggest barriers to employment beyond finding a job is transportation. And if I take that out of the equation, suddenly I've opened up a whole world for people as options for them to uh, be employed. Have you ever heard of spoon theory? There's this article I read from somebody who I, can't, I wish I could remember who wrote it. But this idea of spoon theory is that for, for especially for students, for, for students, for people with um, sort of invisible disabilities that you mm-hmm. don't necessarily see, this idea of spoon theory is imagine um, the, the author just called them spoons, but they're like points or they could be anything. She just she randomly picked spoons as the as the noun, but it it could be like uh, beans or whatever, right? Okay. She said in any given day, we all have a certain number of spoons that we have, and when we go to attack some sort of task that costs us a number of spoons. Like if I go to to go into my car and I want to drive my car, that costs three spoons. But for some some people, that might cost six spoons or mm-hmm. ten spoons, and yeah. you don't know how many spoons it's going to cost them. And the idea is you want to conserve as many spoons as possible, right? And so what we're talking about here is you're 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 conserving spoons. You're not you're not having to spend as much on things that don't necessarily have a huge impact, uh, or they do and maybe in a negative way. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Just having the ability to. Um, control a bit of your environment through this technology. And you think about a lot of the tasks we ask people to accomplish, they are tasks that are given to them. My boss gives me a task. I have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I don't have to do it, but I do like being paid. So I have to do it. Um, 
How I do it is where some of these features come in. If suddenly I can use something on my end to make that easier to accomplish or make it possible to accomplish, um, that is where we're seeing our, our reduction of spoons being put out there, to use your analogy. Yeah. So let's talk, what are some other ones? We've talked about uh, voice control. We've talked about um, voice dictation, which uh, let's mention that too, is that um, I feel like a lot of these things become mainstream, right? Yeah. Like uh, how many of us listening right now use voice dictation, not because we have a, it's just be, not because we have a disability, but because it's just easier, you know? Um, how many times have I type the wrong thing. Like, why am I doing this? Let me just hit the microphone and record. So what yeah. are some other things like that, that are like maybe even a little lesser known? Like, well, you know, this is another feature that people uh, often sleep on, but have a huge impact when people realize they're there. Yeah. I, I think some of the, um, the ones that are lesser known are the ones that feel more specific to a disability type. So people tend to back up off of them. Um, so your screen reader applications, like if you're in an iOS, it's voiceover and it provides not just text to speech for the text, but speech. Um, I was almost going to call it navigation. And I guess it kind of is. It's navigating you around the screen to tell you what's there. And that goes back to my suggestion before of people um, who need audio support for navigation. That can be really uh, powerful. You know, I think what we've started to see a lot because of this shift in environments where learning is happening and we're doing more things with technology, um, we're seeing more and more recognition of the importance of captions. And captions are starting to be those features that are showing up on our devices built in. I mean, there was the, a big thing um, in one of the recent updates of Chrome. So if you've updated your Chrome browser or your Chrome book to, um, version 89. So if you're at 89 or above, um, you know how you now have something called live caption, which allows you just by turning it on to any audio or video you interact with on your device, a caption box automatically starts playing, even if that content is muted. And just think about the power of that. Uh, I use it, I have it turned on all the time in my device. And so when I'm scrolling through on like Twitter or something, right? I have things muted so that when I scroll down, videos don't just start playing out loud in my office, but they do start playing. And what I get is a box instantly pops up that gives me the text of what's happening in that video. So whether the video was created with accessibility in mind or not, and quite honestly, many of them online are not created with accessibility. I feel like that's a whole other conversation. Um, but now I have that accessibility at my device level to move forward and be successful um, for any of those things. I'm finding a lot of the, the, the learners I'm working with um, and even a lot of the adults I'm working with are spending more time in virtual Zoom meetings or any of these other virtual events with the live caption on, even if the event didn't have captioning, which it should, another story for another day, but it should, um, their captions pop up on their end and they're able to follow the conversation. And that is something that is built in accessibility. The best part about live caption, it was just built in as a feature to the Chrome browser. It showed up now 
in our in our accessibility features on our Chromebook, but it had been put in as a system wide support for all. Just simply turn it on. I will add to that that conversation with captions that um, we've talked about that in this podcast before, and some AEC users have written afterwards and said, "Let them let the, you. You're right. We this really helped me learn to read. Everyone should turn the captions on. Of that course. live caption feature is is huge uh, improvement that is really recently updated. Mm-hmm. I'll add one other component to that too, which is. How many times have I been in a situation where I've had the captions on and just for a moment, I spaced out, you know, like I got distracted or I started thinking about something other in my life yeah. and I wasn't listening to the, the person speaking at that moment. And when I came back, the captions were happening a half a second behind the audio and I could read the, 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 the sentence and then be back into it. You know, it's a way to draw that attention. And what I've heard some people say is this idea that, especially when it comes to kids and students, they, they don't pay attention. They're not paying attention. You know, well, we should, yes, no, nobody can maintain attention for as long as you're expecting them to maintain attention. Instead, expect that they can't maintain attention. And how are you bringing them back? Well, captions is one way that they can come back and they don't yeah. have to turn it on. Well, they have, because it's not default on. Right. You have to go to the accessibility settings in Chrome to turn on live captions. It's the very top one. If you can find the the accessibility settings in Chrome and get to that button, then you can find the live captions. You don't even have to scroll very far. You toggle that sucker on and then it's just on always, you know? Yeah, I I think you're right. Two things to that, which I think is absolutely right. Um, Thinking about turning these on in Chrome, If you're in a managed device, so if you work in an organization or a school that manages your account, you don't have the ability to turn it on, Mm -hmm. potentially. So you need that one extra level of of interacting with your administrator to explain why this is so valuable in order to turn it on. But in that case, once you get that person on board, your IT person, um, your Google administrator, when they flick that button, they're not just flicking it for you. They're flicking it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that is really powerful. So you get that person on board and you have everyone, which is awesome. And then one other thing about your re-engagement. I, I, I went to a, a workshop on universal design for learning. And that was the piece that really stuck with me is universal design for learning talks a lot about multiple means of engagement. And the speaker said this, this statement, very similar to what you just said expect people to disengage your job is to re-engage them when they join you again people will leave you even if it's for a split second that's okay and i think we've found that in this past year you know you read a lot of articles about zoom fatigue and this idea of video fatigue and what they talk about is that you have to be even more attentive when it's video And like they give some of these tips and one of the ones I've been using a lot, I'm not using it now, but when I start doing presentations uh, for um, over, over these video platforms, turn your own view of yourself off because they said they, you spend a lot of time looking at yourself Mm -hmm. um, in the grid. So if you don't see yourself, it's closer to aligning to what you would see if you were in a group, you don't see yourself, you see the group. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so one of those things as well. So those things become really important to think about. 
I, you know, I find that so true, mainly because I'm so handsome. I constantly look at myself. <laughs> Chris, I, I also understand that quite a bit. I'm a, I'm a fancy dresser. I look good. My hair looks nice. I want to check myself out. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I think that's really wise. And I think it's also um, uh, pertinent to like when we talk about students, you know, there's the whole uh, debate. Do you have to turn your cameras on and the, the the feedback I constantly get from students is like, I don't want to see myself. Like, I don't, I, yeah. I don't want that. So right. imagine this generation now growing up this way. If that's a strategy they can learn right away is, yeah, don't turn the camera on, you know? I mean, don't turn the camera on yourself, you know, right. turn your camera on so people can see you, but you don't necessarily see yourself. And then imagine the next workforce um, and the way that impacts learning in the future they grow up with that rather than having to learn to do that. Like many of us have had to learn. Exactly. So if you take our suggestion and turn your camera off so you don't see yourself, I'll give you a reminder. Your camera is still on, by the way. Don't, right. don't, I don't know. I don't know whatever you're going to, I don't know what you're up to on your end, on the listener in there, but remember your camera is still on, even though you can't see yourself. All right. So we've talked a lot here, Mike, about, you know, the technology, the, 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 the yeah. actual tools that you can use to improve your own life, whether you have a disability or not, I think has been a theme uh, of this conversation. The book that we wrote has a, a, a slightly different angle um, mm -hmm. where we put, we purposefully put the technology kind of as a support to the strategy. Can we talk about that for a second? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it is the right way to think about these things because the technology can't drive the conversation the need of the individual drives the conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with text and I need to find another support to help with comprehension. How about text to speech? I'm struggling with composing written expression. What could I do? How about trying speech to text? So the task that the person, and we could go back to our friend, the set framework for this, the task is driving the solution always. And I think that has to be key. And, and, and in our work with teams, and, and, and I spend a lot of time working with teams, trying to get them to see things differently and not just simply pile more tools onto a situation because we've all seen how that works. Not great a lot of times, um, but instead kind of dig down into what the real issue is. And a lot of times people will lead with technology. I need a new phone. And then my question to them always as an evaluator, as, an, as a consultant is why? And then they will give some reason. And then I will typically say, why again? And the why is designed to just dig down to the real reason. And eventually we may get to the point that says, I struggle to see the text on the screen and I need it read aloud. Oh, you don't need a new phone. What you need is a tool that gives you audio support. Let's talk about where you are, what kinds of materials you're reading, what kinds of devices might support that. Plus, what might you already have that I can show you? If we go back to our built-in accessibility, I can show you and turn that right on. And your problem has been addressed. I was almost going to say your problem is solved. I don't know if your problem is solved, but your problem has certainly been addressed. 
And then we talk about it, you know, did this solve your problem? That's the whole other piece of implementation, right? We move to that next level of, okay, you have a solution. Is that solution working? Love it. Love it. I, I, I think a compliment to that is also something we talk about in the book is the um, kind of a learner center approach. And you just described that as like, as a consultant or somebody that's supporting someone else, you're sort of asking a bunch of questions so that they're still in the driver's seat. And you're, again, you're supporting them. You're not telling them which way to turn. You're just saying um, you're, you're giving them the, the, uh, the, the way to think about what would help them get through whatever barrier they're, they're trying to get through. And, and that's exactly it because you think a lot of people who aren't comfortable or recognizing what the real issue is the easiest thing to go to is I need some other thing, put some other tool next to me and that's gotta help. And, you know, I think that's a very natural reaction is people see how powerful technology can be now. And they think, well, well, there's so much great tech out there. I should just get another thing and that will solve my problem. And instead you, you really kind of, you, you're asking them to shift their perception about what it is they really want. One of my favorite stories, and it has nothing really to do with built-in accessibility, but it's so great. Um, and I'm going to tell it until you turn my mic off. I'm just going to keep talking. Um, I was in a school supporting uh, that school and I'm walking down the hall. This was back when I was allowed in the schools and I could actually walk down the hall freely. I'm walking down the hall and a teacher that I work with pops her head out. She says, oh, Mike, please, can, can I talk to you for a minute? I think I need a new iPad. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I come in. My first question is, why do you think you need a new iPad? And I'm expecting, as I sit down, something, something along the lines of, oh, it, uh, the charger doesn't work anymore. It's broken. It's lost its connection to the Wi-Fi. I'm thinking that kind of way, like a physical problem with it. Um, and her answer instead was, my iPad is full. And I said, okay. She goes, so I need another one so I can add more apps. And then instantly, my first question again was, why? Why do you need more apps? Well, I, I, this one's full. Didn't you hear what I just said? This iPad's full. Um, and what followed was clearly not what she wanted to happen because I did not agree to the new iPad. But instead, what we did was go through her iPad and ask her to explain the apps she had and how she was using them to support learners. And what we found over and over again was she had never used any of these apps. She had simply downloaded them, thinking that more tools would equal, equal more solutions and better success. And at the end of our little discussion there, I got her iPad down to apps only on one screen versus the 10 pages that she had. Um, and her iPad was no longer full. Um, and I think that's a good way to think about built-in accessibility also. Before you run to buy other things, can you meet a person's needs with what they have? And, and I like to point out to people with built-in accessibility, I knew I would bring us all the way back around, Chris. Yeah. I knew eventually I'd get there. Um, what's interesting about built-in accessibility the features that are built in your device may not be the best feature to provide that support, but they are a starting point. And if you use that, you use those features until you can't use them anymore. Mm -hmm. You use it until that one moment 
where someone says that feature's great, but I wish it did. And then they describe something else because what they're talking about now is features of tools um, and how the, the need of the individuals no longer being met by that tool. And so if you start with built-in accessibility, you start to figure out exactly what the person needs. More importantly, if you're in a school or an organization where you have to go to somebody in order for them to buy you something, you know, we're not all like independent consultants like me, where I just randomly buy myself stuff every once in a while because I feel like I need something. Um, but if I had to go to a supervisor and say, I need to buy an app, I would hope their first question would be why. Why? And so using built-in accessibility gives you a proof of concept of what you're asking for. Mm -hmm. I can now say to a supervisor, we've been exploring this built-in feature with so-and-so, and we're using it to provide support in these different ways. And then we can describe that. And then I can say, we've been using that for a while, but now we can no longer use it because the person needs to do X and the device no longer does that. So we need this additional app. If I go to any gatekeeper of funding with that story, I would be hard pressed to hear somebody say no at that point. Exactly. You've, you've made a claim. You've provided evidence that backs up that claim. Um, and, um, and you've got a person advocating for what they need. So how, how, how are you possibly going to say no to that? A real practical example there might be, um, let's say you have text read out loud. Mm -hmm. but you need the background colors to follow along, you know, well, okay, it really helps for me to have the text read out loud, but it helps me even more if I could have the highlighting feature where it's purple rather than blue. And this only has blue. Right. Great. You now we are, now we're really talking and we're really specific to your need. Or I really and then need we can voice move on. This. <laughs> yeah. Then we can move on and find a tool that does that. You know, I, I text to speech works for me, but I feel like I need, more space between the lines and space between the words. And I need the, the margins to be shrunk. All of these visual parts of that, which don't exist in the built-in, are reasons to move to something that is an add-on later on. Mm -hmm. And then, let's keep going there. There's one last thing, I think, that that also informs the developers of the products to go, why, why didn't we build that in as, a, as an option? Why did they have to go to some other tool why didn't my tool do that in the first place where well, you yeah. should have you know and that's exactly. why it gets better in different versions that's right those iterations of it and it's one of those things i've been really fortunate to be part of a google accessibility ambassadors program where that is exactly what happens the people from google are showing us features of chrome that they're thinking about that have suddenly come out live captions switch access the select to speak all of these features they're showing us these early iterations of it and asking for that kind of feedback. Like, oh, it's great that you gave me one highlight. Could I have dual highlights? And then they sit. And as everyone who's, who's creative to problem solve does, they all kind of look up at the ceiling and, and rub their chin for a second. And they go, well, sure. Why couldn't we do that? Of course yeah. we could. And then those are the, that's how we see those extra features. Mike, let me ask you this as a kind of a wrap-up culminating question. A question that I like to ask sort of at the end of every interview is, what's got you jazzed recently? What's, what are you curious about? What, have you, what are you questing after? What's something that is just, you know, 
Um, I know, I know, because you know, you and I have worked together for several years now in different projects and different presentations. That you're a avid reader, uh, and you um, you are a active participant in professional learning, you know, of your own, and then of course providing that for other people. So, what's something that's you know that you're you're wanting to learn about, or that you are learning about? Yeah. So one of the things that I, I I'm really spending my time with lately is, is like you said, I, I spend a lot of time uh, providing professional learning opportunities to people. Those opportunities in the past were in person. Now they are all virtual. And so we're finding we're spending large chunks of times in things like Zoom and Google Meet and things like that. No dig to these tools, by the way, because um, I, I don't want to get them all upset, but they're not always conducive to the kinds of interactions that we find so valuable in professional learning. And Chris, you know how I move through a professional learning. I love conversation. Mm -hmm. That's why this was great. Give you a little peek, peek behind the scene before we hit record. I just said to Chris, let's just go. I'll just follow whatever you talk about and off we go. Um, conversation and bringing people in and sharing and giving people a platform to learn deeper with each other. And I don't know that I find Zoom to be that platform. No disrespect to Zoom. It's great. But it's not giving us that. You think about this idea of a Zoom, even if you put me in a breakout room, I still only have one person talking at a time. I mean, even now, the two of us are trying to be very aware of not talking over each other because I'm watching you and taking cues from you. Um, so one of the things that I've been really excited about lately, and I just used it uh, last week. If you're listening to this in the future, I used it a while ago, but if you're listening to it when it comes out, it was last week. Um, I use something called Kumo Space, and it is a virtual platform that's all web-based, but it has small meeting rooms that allow you to use your keyboard to navigate around the room and have small conversations. So suddenly, and we use this with a, with a coaching session um, in, in, for one of the contracts I'm working on, because people are telling us they are Zoomed out. They don't want to be in a Zoom for two hours, mm -hmm. but they want to talk to each other. And so finding a platform that facilitates that, something like Kumo Space, the, the person running the room can set the sound level to a, a certain range. And so anybody who's in my range, this little highlighted circle on the screen around me can hear me. But as they move to another corner of the space, they can't. They can have their own conversation. And so what we found was we brought together these 30 plus coaches and, and let them loose in these rooms yeah, to have play. conversations. And it was so great. And you talk about something that had me jazzed up. That had me jazzed up because it was exactly the kind of freewheeling conversation that I would try to facilitate if we were in person and it would energize the group and it would make them feel like they were part of the learning experience versus just another person sitting in Zoom listening. Mm -hmm. They were actually active in the learning. And so that, if you've never played with it, kumospace.com, it is free right now. You can sign up and get yourself some rooms. Uh, it is really outstanding. So, Mike, that really reminds me of uh, conversations happening in my neck of the woods right now where they're saying, well, we're trying to, just to provide structures for people to think about professional learning and, you know, uh, what's the difference between being in person and 
virtual learning. And I asked the question, well, what do you mean by virtual learning? You know, what does that mean? And they say, well, you know, like Zoom, it's like we have constructed this box of what virtual learning means. It means uh, essentially Skype. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and, uh, and I use Skype as like the, one of the first tools that allowed us to do this where we were video conferencing. That has become so commonplace that it's been synonymous with virtual. But the thing is, what you just described with Kumo Space has been around for many, many years. The masses were just not ready for it yet. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, uh, how, Second Life is a good example. Yeah. You know, video games where you're in a third pl- third person view and you're moving around. And that's sort of what Kumo Space is. Like the camera is looking down on a room and you're controlling an avatar of a, like a little figure that walks around a space, right? Which is similar to Second Life, if people remember that. Or you can picture like a video game where right. you're a, a, a character. Yeah. And now I wonder if this is the moment um if the pandemic helped us go okay i'm ready for a video i'm ready for a, an experience like that uh, we did a lot of work with avatar connect where um we had the connect sensor from three the uh, you know from the um the xbox 360 right. and then they had a, a situation where you could be virtual avatar in a space together which they took that technology and brought it over to teams. Do you know what I mean? Or at mm-hmm. least, it's, I don't know that they actually did that. I have no insider information, but right. it, the situation is is the same where you can have a virtual version of yourself sitting side by side with somebody else. All that to say is that you're not pigeonholed into one way of thinking this, the way you and I are corresponding yeah. right now through Zoom is the only way to do it. And I just love that we're experimenting with that now. I love the, that idea of using Kumo space as a, as a different way or a tool similar to that. Um, right. that uh, because what's the function? The function is, well, I'm trying to have a different, um, a way to have conversations in a virtual space. And proof of concept was in Zoom, but there's some other features I'd like, and I'd like it to be a different experience. Now let's go down and yeah. and look at um, what else is available. Right? It's that con- same it's that same strategy that I always point to people with built-in accessibility. Right? Zoom was great, but I wish mm-hmm. it allowed me to talk in smaller groups and it gave me breakout rooms. Okay, but I wish I could be in a room and yet still in a separate conversation. Mm-hmm. And the way I always explain it, and we've had this conversation, um, when you're in a professional learning situation, there are moments that something registers with you and gives you an aha moment. And you want to lean to the person next to you and verbalize that in some way. Yeah. It's not to be disrespectful to the, to the facilitator, but it's, you want to have this quick interaction and we've lost that with, with these virtual platforms. We've gained it a little if you participate in a lot of uh, virtual learning, um, we've gained it in the chat box. I could argue the chat box is 1,000 times better sometimes than the actual front channel discussion of the person talking. The back channel has been so rich in some of the sessions I've been in, and it's because people are missing those moments of personal connection because we're all connected and you're all audio, so I did air quote that. We are all connected, but we're not at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're all mm-hmm. still separate. And that, that's, you know, and that makes me just, just uh, kind of uh, just really want some face-to-face learning soon. Well, you and I have had that experience before. We've been sitting in conferences shoulder to shoulder 
someone presenting and, and uh, the slide go up and you and I would maybe whisper something to each other. Look, look at that. that like right. just that, that notion that that is impressive or that has made me think uh, if that was a moment for me where maybe I had zoned out for a second, Mike thinks that's important. Why, I, why yeah. is he thinking that's important? And suddenly I'm in it again, you know, right. or vice versa. And yeah. so you're right. That is uh, and the chat is a feature that, allows us to do that to some extent. Ooh, someone just posted something in the chat. Let me read that. Right. Oh, I see. There's a whole different way of thinking, but it's not the same necessarily. It's a different experience. It's not the same. You're right. And I, and I think some facilitators are more comfortable with incorporating that into an actual experience uh, versus just kind of moving through their, their speech or their presentation and then catching it at the end. Um, I love having that chat open as I'm doing something, because if that's what people are interested in talking about at that minute, if that, if what I said triggered you to think of something else that makes the learning deeper for you, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Forget what I'm going to talk about. We'll get to my stuff. Eventually. I want to talk about your thing. Cause that sounds really great. Uh, yeah. And so I think, this whole professional learning and thinking about how we shift it too. You know, we're doing a lot of things. People are still doing them with book studies and those can be virtual and we can do those through social media. We can do those through Facebook groups and things like that. We can do Twitter chats and, you know, I'm still a big believer of Twitter chats. In fact, I'll do my plug right now for the AT chat uh, on Twitter. Join us every week, every Wednesday night at 8 PM Eastern, we do the AT chat. We talk about assistive technology. Uh, and, and that has given some of this that I was missing from not being in live sessions. It's, it's giving that interaction that, and people would not think this right away, but the deeper conversation, which people automatically think Twitter doesn't give deep conversation. It can, and it's really good. And so you got to find that learning anywhere you can. How about one more plug? I know you do the AT town halls. What's that all about? So we do, we also do um, really interesting. So in one of my hats that I wear, I'm an AT consultant, but I am also uh, the director of the New Jersey Assistive Technology Act Project. And we are federally funded. There is one project in every state in the US and every territory. I am the director of the New Jersey Project. And what we started in the beginning of the pandemic was a way for people to come together and just kind of in the beginning, it was probably pretty close to just kind of shake your head and just be like, well, what am I doing today? How am I going to do this? And we started this idea, this concept of this community of practice. And it was focused around assistive tech had to be delivered virtually in schools. Now, how were we going to do that? And we started these Monday, Monday sessions. They are on zoom every Monday at noon Eastern, and it is just a sounding board session. It has virtually no planning. And anybody who's been there and watched me lead this, you're going to laugh right now when I say there's virtually no planning. And then you're saying to your phone, there's no planning. Yes, there's no planning. It is literally just turn the cameras on. And what are people doing this week? What worked well? What are you struggling with? What's something you can share with the rest of the group? And we've built this community that allows us to see each other and just talk for an hour. And it's really funny because we had about, about it was probably about three or four months ago, we had a conversation internally um, in our program. Like, I feel like this has run its course. Maybe we just stop doing this. 
Um, and the, the group was, you know, it's a decent size, about 20 people every time. And I was like, maybe people have had enough of this. And so I thought I'd post that on Twitter and say, hey, we're thinking about moving the town hall to maybe once in a while, once every other month, once every quarter, something like that. And I got such response and people were like, no, you can't get rid of that. We, we're scheduling our work around that every week. Um, and it's been, and, and then I had that refill. I'm like, okay, then we'll keep doing it. And as I said previously, I'm not doing any work for it anyway. So sure, I can block out an hour of my time. Um, and what I find is we are getting, it's exciting, teams that are joining us together. And so they're shooting a camera into their office and they're all sitting there and you can see them talking to each other as we're talking. And it's like, this is great. This is exactly what you want is you want community. And that's what we've created. So if you're interested in joining us, go to our website for our New Jersey AT Act. It is AT, the number four, NJ, AT4NJ.org and search for the community of practice uh, drop-down menu. And there will be the registration links for all of the town halls. And yes, we will keep them going. They usually stop in the summer because it's mostly focused on AT and education. So in the summer, we found we kind of stopped towards the end of June and we did one or two. We did them every once in a while. We gave people some time to regroup. Um, but every week during the school year from September to June, we do have it every Monday. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for sharing this time together. Thanks for um, saying yes with the book and writing the book uh, together. Um, and thanks for presenting together. Uh, and it's just been great. And I continue to, to, I continue to look forward to working with you. Chris, right back at you. I am so excited. I can't wait to get this book in my hand. Uh, I was showing Chris and the other authors in one of our meetings that we had to do a final pass. And I actually went and printed the sections just so I physically had it in my hand. That's how desperate I want to hold this thing. Uh, it's been a great experience and I'm really excited for what comes next. So thanks very much for having me. You're welcome, Mike. So until next time, I'm Chris with Talking With Tech and we'll talk to you soon.